0: Well, good afternoon, Exchange. Good to be here. Um, me and Roy go way back, and uh, we have this rule in our house back then that we were not allowed to talk to each other after care groups on Friday nights because we tried it once, and we had another, another housemate. His name is Keen Baxter, and three of us would, you know, finish care group, finish food, finish washing up, and we go into the living room and we start chatting. And next day there's church, and before you know it, it's 2 a.m., and then we're like still talking, and i bro, we're going to stop. Yeah, we'll stop soon, 3 o'clock, and just like, not good for health. And then next morning we're like, all right, Ben, no more talking after care group. Um, He's great, he's great. Um, His room was right across from mine, and it's great to have Roy there because there'll be times where I needed somebody to pray with, and you don't need to knock. You just need to go into his room. They can pray together. And there be days where I'm studying and he comes to my room and he goes, James, pray. 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 And it's awesome to have a a, a a housemate that they can do that all the time. And if you do not know, he hasn't told you yet, he was one of the reasons I went to, to ministry. Because we were praying together. Uh, we are doing evangelism one time and... Uh, so I had a little bit of time and I was helping him. He was a Bible worker then. And so we were folding brochures and it's like, Hey, Roy, what are you doing for your life? He's like, I don't know. Maybe I want to go into ministry. And I was like, Yeah, me too. I've been thinking about it. And then back then, then, then we pray again. And, 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 and then before I knew it, Roy left for Andrews. And I'm like, Oh no. So if he goes, then I have to go because we prayed together. And he went through with me, you know, the C's, the, the conviction, the clarification, and like, stop it. You know, I was like fighting the spirit. I was like, I don't want to go. But Roy went, and he was telling me, you know, Andrews is great, James. If you come, you can stay in my the house that I'm renting. I'm like, okay, okay, bro. And, and then finally I went, and it was the best thing in my life. So thanks, Roy. It's very encouragement um, to go. And today, I'm, I'm here at a church that he's starting, uh, this little fellowship community here in the, in the city. Uh, I think it's a dream to, to, to do work in a community, in a, to start a community of faith in the city, because this is the place where we meet and we rub shoulders with so many people, but at the same time, we do not know them. We can walk past a hundred, a thousand every day, going back and forth from work and not know any of the names. But I think this is trying to change that. I think make um, this place, Melbourne City, somewhere different where you can feel that you're part of this community, part of people who, who know your name, part of people who love you. You know, have you have you ever been disappointed? Yeah, disappointment is, uh, is is the dictionary defines it as a, a hope and and dream that's not satisfied. You know, it's like you, you hope it's gonna be satisfied. You hope that Brownman's gonna give birth tomorrow, but no, it's just to give birth today. But that's good, right? Um, and, and disappointment is is in the cold winter days in Andrews, Barren Springs, and you know, thirty minutes drive away, you can get a bowl of hot fur noodle, and you make that drive. Snow's strong. The, the road's not good. You have no winter tires. You drive a railroad drive car they can't control. But 30 minutes away, there's hope of hot fur noodles. And then you make the drive. You put on your jacket. It's like, all right, got to do this. It's cold. I want my noodles. You drive for 30 minutes. You get to the spot. You know you're going to have good noodles. And the shop's closed. <laughs> Disappointment. But that's, that's not as bad as as when people disappoint you. You know, not getting the noodles, that's fine, I'll come back tomorrow. But when people you trust, or community that you trust, organizations that you trust, do not live up to what you hope they would be, you get disappointed. You see things happen that you think shouldn't be happening. You observe behaviors that shouldn't be there. You know, when... when when you read the Bible, if you read from the beginning to the end, it's really interesting that God continually chooses this thing called humans to express Himself. Continually, He uses human beings to express something that's beyond our understanding. He uses human beings as His means of communication so that we can understand who He is. From Adam, to, to Noah, to Abraham, to the Israelites to the kings of Israel, and finally to the disciples and to the early church. Continually, God uses human instruments to express who He is. But the problem with human is this. We're human. Human, man. You know humans? I know humans, man. I've been a human all my life. Hopefully. And, and, and human beings have, have this tendency to, to not be consistent. You expect consistency. You expect the way that they're supposed to act. You gonna see, all right, that's how they act, and then they're supposed to continue acting that way, but they don't. And actually, thank God for that, because if they act continually, consistently in the same way, they're robots and not humans. But then, with humans, you expect, you don't expect continuity, but at the same time, you to take the risk of them not behaving the way you want them to behave, or not acting the way you want them to act. I know growing up as a child, uh, my, my dad was a pastor. And I lived in the church, literally. I lived in the church building. And five days a week, I'd be running around the church. And six, on the sixth, seventh day, I'd be going to the church on Sabbath. And on Sunday, I'd be playing around the garden. Every day, I'll be in church. And you see church people, and you expect them to be angels. But unfortunately, they're humans. They're not angels. And humans have a tendency to act in a way that surprises you. And when you're young, you don't understand. You see that, and you're like, oh, okay. As you get older, you start to see it and you see, wait a minute, this is church. This is God's chosen vessel of communication. And they are acting in a way that's no different from any, everybody else. And you get disappointed. You, you, you reach a place where you go, why is this happening? Why do you observe this? Why is the church acting in a certain way? And you question, and you question only the church, the people of the church. You question God. And I'd like to share with you a principle or a way, a model that the Bible shows us and the way that God God deals with this problem. If you have a Bible, don't have a Bible, it's alright. You have your phone. You know, you know our phones? Um, Some of them who have heard me say before, you see, we have this thing called uh, the God mode. I'm not going to ask you to turn it on. It's the uh, with the airplane at the top. But the thing is, you know the Bible, when the, the, the ancient people wrote the Bible, it was in scrolls, right? They used to scroll the Bible. And then we went into books. And now we went back to scrolling. Hey, right? We're going back to old school where reading the Bible, if you can scroll your Bible to Acts 15. Um, this is the first of this instance of this thing called the council the first time when such a thing appear, in chapter 15 of Acts, Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament side, you see this council called the Council of Jerusalem. And in this council, you see people arguing. And if you do a a casual reading of the Bible, you would think, all right, that's fine. Humans argue, humans fight, and that's humanity. But this is God's chosen instrument of communication. Apart from the church, he has his word. And why is it that continually, when you read in the Bible, you continually see people arguing? Like seriously, arguing, murder, death, fighting, apostle, arguing, arguing, arguing arguing Paul, who wrote big part of the New Testament, arguing arguing, and here you have this part I like this part I like I like when they use when they describe Paul they try to be nice you know because they're writing it in the Bible they have to be nice verse one verse one all right certain people came down from uh, Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas, see, this is the Bible's way of being nice, into sharp dispute. It's like, how else can we describe this without saying that it was a shouting match between Paul and Barnabas and the people, right? It's like, they went into a sharp dispute. They were arguing, they were fighting. And this is like Paul, the guy who writes most of the New Testament. This is Barnabas, the guy who was known as the encourager in sharp dispute. These are the people who started the church in Antioch where people first called them Christians. These people, these two persons, were responsible for the fact that Christians are called Christians today. They were fighting and arguing. And the Bible doesn't try to hide it. I think that makes the scripture more believable. Because if it was all fairy tale and good news story in the Bible. Everything was nice. Paul was really nice to Barnabas. He brought him afternoon tea and a muffin. Like, you're not believing. You're like, this is lies, fairy tales. But because they use the word sharp dispute. Like, yeah, they're being real here. They're telling you the story as it is. And so they were in sharp dispute. And And you go on to, and so Paul and Barnabas were appointed to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the believers very glad. You can imagine the scenario that they were in a sharp dispute with the people who were known as the Pharisees, who were the Jews, who came to believe in Jesus Christ. They were in a sharp dispute, and next thing you read, they were sent to Jerusalem. Hey, Why don't you just go away, like far, like way up north, like a few weeks' journey? Just go, let's go. So the, the Bible tries to be nice. It says you're chosen as representative. It's like you know, in a in, in work at work, sometime, you know, yeah. When I was working in a corporate world, you'd be always there'd be meetings. All right, who should do this? I'm sorry, and this guy making a lot of noise, complaining. It's like, why don't you be in charge of the project? To get rid of him. And pretty much that's what they did to Paul and Barnabas. They said, Why don't you guys go to Jerusalem? And they went up to Jerusalem, and as they were along the way, they were telling people about how the Gentiles were converted, and everybody was happy. And finally, they came to to Jerusalem. And and there, in verse 6, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. Because there was a question of whether the Jews, or whether the Gentiles should be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And after much discussion, much discussion. See, this is the first time you see this idea of the council happening. This is where the church way of dealing with problems. The church doesn't say, alright, the dictator will decide what's going to happen. The church doesn't say, alright, we're going to not care about the problems in the church. The church does the thing that I feel is right. It doesn't say there's no problem in the church. Some churches think that. They say there's no problem in the church. Anything has a problem, there's a problem in the person. No, no. The church are made out of people. And when we are made out of people to be problems. And they say, alright, we have a problem. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Do, are we willing when there's a conflict in the church, instead of walking away? You know, when we see an organization disappointing us, we see the church, a representation of God, disappointing us. What's our reaction? Do we look at it and say, wow, that's not what church is supposed to be, and you walk away? Or are you willing to sit down and have a conversation about it? See, the Bible explains that there will be disagreement. There will be sharp disputes. There will be problems arising in the church. But the way to deal with it is not to run away. The way to deal with it is to sit down and have a discussion about it. And so the elders... The pastors, the, the leaders of the church, the apostles—they sat down and have a discussion about it. And after much discussion, the problems brought out. If you read seven and eight, they're talking about different problems, and he says, "Well, well, at the end of the day, we don't decide. The Spirit decides." See, I think that the council, the idea of the council, is the Bible's way of teaching us that in every growth, no matter if it's human beings or whether it's an organization, there will be three phases. I do sum it up into three phases. The first phase is called agony. Agony is when problem arises. You know, you know what's friction? Any science student here? Can you tell me what friction is? Florian. <laughs> friction is, is resistance, right? Prevents you from moving forward. Is, is friction good or bad? Good or bad? The answer is yes. Right? 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 It's like, it's good when you want to move. If there's no friction, all of us will be sliding off the chair, I'll be falling down, and I can't move. Right? There's no friction. But if there's too much friction, it's not good. If there's too much friction, it'd be really hard to move. For example, if you have a car, if there's friction, you can drive. But then they're also in this tension where car designers try to make the car aerodynamic so that the friction is reduced. So that the car can go fast. So it's important for the car to go, but it's also important for the car to go fast. See, friction itself is neutral. But depending on the situation, it could be good or bad. And that's why I call it agony. In any growth of an organization, or a person, or a family unit, there will be agony. And that's like friction. You would not agree with everything your family say, or the church says, or somebody else, but you, you work together. I know um, I've lived with different people at different time. I've lived in 10 houses in Melbourne in my 10 years. Ted, my friend over there, has lived in... Uh, uh, Two years, we lived together for two years. But he was like my neighbor next door. And for like two years before that, I'll spend more time at his house than in my own place. Eventually, we just go, let's just move in and become housemaid, housemate, right? I'll go to his house and we'll cook. And I'll eat at his house, watch TV at his house, not do homework at his house, play computer game at his house, and then go home and sleep, wake up, go to school. After school, I don't go home. I go to his house, and then we go to his house. Um, but I live with different people. And the thing is, if you're living with different people, those of you who had housemates will know that it's, it's a negotiation. Yeah, it's no negotiation. You have to work out how you function. That's right. Toilet seats up or down? Not a big deal when it's all boys. How often do you clean the toilet? Once a week. That's important <laughs> because it's all boys, right? And and then it's like who cooks dinner? When I cook dinner, can you eat my food? If I put it in the fridge and it disappears the next morning, is it okay? Negotiation. Who vacuums the floor? Who goes into the jungle where we call the backyard and cut up those trees once every year? <laughs> right? There's negotiation. This And at and times, if you're not good at negotiating, you become enemies. You, it's like, you're supposed to clean the house. Yeah, I had school, I had exam. But it's your turn to clean the house and get really upset with the person and you don't, be, you don't talk to each other and then it's like really hard. But then if you know how agony works is that there's friction and the friction is important to work out differences and you go, hey, it's your turn to clean the house. You have exams. Okay, I'll clean the house this week. You clean for two weeks in a row next week. Cool. If they don't clean the house for the two weeks in a row, then you bring out your punching bag and your, and your gloves and you go ahead and talk to him again. Next time he doesn't clean the house, bring a baseball bat. Sorry, does <laughs> not. But agony and negotiation is where you you talk and counsel always starts in agony, throughout history, there's been many, many, many councils in the Christian church, because there have been many, 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 many disagreements in the church. But the councils of the councils, where people come together and it presents their agony, the agony, not because they don't care, is because they care too much. Sometimes they care a lot about certain things. The carpet has to be blue. Why? Because God's throne was on blue stone. To another guy, I don't want carpet. I want parquet floor. Let's not renovate the church ever. right? And the disagreement in the church is like, and you're going to work out your agony. They care. Why does it have to be blue? Because I care that the church is God's temple. Cool. You know, that's, 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 you need to see beyond the problem to the genuine care in their hearts for certain things. Like my housemate, he'll say, James, you need to wash the dishes up right after you eat. Not because it's like he just have OCD, but because it's hygiene. You know, you don't have mushrooms growing in your basin. It's not a good idea. Like, they care. Agony. You bring your problems to the table. And the next thing, the second step of growth, is what I call submission. Submission. Let's go, and go back to the story about the Council of Jerusalem. And so, so they, they went through a whole series of discussion, um and they were talking and, and here here in verse 12, the whole assembly who were there listening to the council, they were listening to what was being shared. Verse 12, Acts chapter 15 says, The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentile. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. Things known from long ago. And so James in his judgment, verse 19, says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it for difficult for the Gentiles who are turned to God. Instead, We should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest time and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And here we see this council presenting this problem, this agreement about circumcision, and during that time the idea and the problem of the food was brought up. And so they discussed it, and at the end, they, they shared with them what they found out. And, and here is what I call submission. Because here, if you read the statement at the end, the Gentiles were not required to be circumcised. But at the same time, the Gentiles were asked to abstain from food offered to idols. And you know, they say they were polluted by idols. And if you read the, the history of this, it was not a big problem, because Paul himself writes later that, Idols are nothing. They're but stones. They can't talk and they're, they mean nothing. So to eat or not to eat is not a problem. But here we see the letter from the council saying abstain from them. Why? Because it makes the Jews really uncomfortable. Because they've grown up in an environment where food offered to the idols were uh, not touched. It was not kosher. They would not eat it. And so you see this submission of both sides towards the right idea. That at the end of the day, what was more important was glory. The third part of growth. So both sides submitting to one another and says, all right, I, I understand you shouldn't be circumcised. I accept that. But as a brother, I, because for your sake, I will not choose to eat food offered to the idols in front of you. I will not choose to do it deliberately to make you uncomfortable. I will submit to you. And so both sides submitted to one another for the sake of this thing called unity. And I say that's how the church is glorified. Because if you read the history of Antioch in Acts chapter 11, the first time the Christians were called Christians in Antioch, they were not seen because they were, they were doing a lot of miracles or signs. They were, they were called Christians because they saw people of different cultural background, different races, the Jews, the Gentiles coming together to worship the same God and having no problems. And God was glorified. And that's why they called him Christians. Little Christ you know what that Christian means? Christian means you are little Christ. And little Christ means you represent Jesus. When they saw the Christians united as one, submitting to one another, loving each other, disregarding all cultural background, race, and, and, and tradition, and habits, they love each other, and that made them Jesus. They saw them, they saw the Christ that they follow. And so once again, when they go through this agony, they have to submit in order to glorify Jesus in order to bring the name of Jesus to glory. They have to be united in the differences. And it's not one side giving up totally to the other side. It was not just compromise for the sake of compromise. It was a discussion. It was a council where they spoke up and they agreed with what was good, what was acceptable, and what was not. And so God continually uses the problems in our church to grow the church continually he he sees that there's problems in church, but he doesn't give up on the church. He doesn't give up on humanity. If God has given up on humanity because we have problems, man, I wouldn't be here. If God saw how bad James was, and said, well, you messed up, bro. See you later. i move on to James number two. Then there'll be no James speaking and sharing with you today. But God is not in the business of destruction. God is in the business of helping us grow. And so we go through the stage. Me and God go through a stage agony and I have to submit to his will, to his wisdom. And, and later I glorify him because my life has been changed. If you look at James today and James when he was 16 years old, you thank God. Like, thank God for who I am today. I don't like myself very much back then, man. My mom always tell me, James, I love you. I don't like you very much right now. You know, that was the constant reminder. But God is like that. I think God doesn't like the church having problems. But God, the, but God loves His church. And He helps His church grow through this phase of agony, submission, and glorification. When you glory God, we become one, submitting to one another. I don't know what, how you see the church today. I don't know you well enough. But if you look at the Adventist church today, we have a lot of problems. And especially when you start working full time for the church. Oh man, faith, you, need, you pray a lot more than you would before. And, and you think, you know, you, you struggle for so long before going to ministry. You think, yes, I finished my MDiv. I've mastered the divine now I can go and master a church. I don't know why they call my degree Master of Divinity. I mean, you can never master the divine. And you go in and, and you'll see the church and you're like, wow, the church is messed up. I know my mentor told me before I started work, he was a, he's a pastor, my, used to be my youth pastor, and he, he, he said, James, let's go for dinner. I said, all right, we'll go for dinner. He said, James, you're going to start working in the church? I said, yeah, I'm so excited. He just patted me on the shoulder. Say James, for your first pastoral meeting, remember pastors are humans, and that word stuck I mean if not for that, I might have quit ministry like six months into ministry right but 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 God sees that and and, and, and we we look at it, we can see it not trying to hide it the atmosphere has a lot of problems, but again we see God trying to work with us, the agony of trying to get us to realize that the difference exists between us as friction and this friction is, can be used for good and used for bad. And it can build the church up or destroy the church. And God says, learn submission. Learn submission. When you submit it to one another for the right reason, for the right thing, God can be glorified and can be united as one. And once again, people can see and it says, these are Christians.